0: separation by now obviously this is uh, does not appear to be a nominal situation yeah it does appear to be spinning but I do want to remind everyone that everything after clearing the tower was icing on the cake So what did we just see? I mean, what just happened? You know, this was the SpaceX Starship rocket that there was a lot of anticipation of this. Elon Musk is the guy that's behind all this. And at the end, the rocket explodes. And then everyone in the control room, you can hear them. They're all cheering. Why is that? I mean, you know, Somebody said wouldn't you like a job that explodes and that happens and everyone cheers for you. Yeah. <laughs> what what happened there? Well, there's a bigger story here. And and the story is that um they, they had this rocket they built, and they just the hope was that it was just clear the launch pad because so much of this is just in an experimental mode. There still have a long plan that is yet to happen, and this was part of it. So, this is it. And so, then when it exploded, it was actually cr- triggered by an automatic self destruct because the rocket began to go haywire, which was a possibility, and they anticipated that. The automatic Uh, self-destruct explodes the rocket. And then uh, they post on social media that they called it a, what was it? A rapid unscheduled disassembly. That's their story. And they're sticking to it. And actually, believe it or not, there is truth to that. Yeah, it's, it's fun. They had fun with the way that they described that. And they were ready for that. They knew what they were doing. Um, but they, they have a larger story that they're telling, and it's just one small moment in a grander, grander story that they are attempting to write uh, about space travel and rocket ships and all this kind of stuff. And today I want to talk to you about the story of your life, um, because there's a lot of things that happen in life that just seem random. Uh, they're like, what's going on? Uh, why is this happening the way that it's happening to me or to, to someone I care about or to, uh, to the situation that I'm facing or at work or wherever it might be? You're in a situation where you're like, help me understand this. What, what's the story that's being told here? And what I want to share with us today is just simply this from the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 16. And that is this You can trust God to write your story. That is the overarching thing that I want you to walk away with from this message in Proverbs 16, is you can trust God to write your story, even when you don't understand it, even when it, it doesn't make any sense, even when you have a plan and it doesn't go according to the plan, all those things. There's infinite number of things that could happen in our lives, and we're not certain what's happening, but God is in control. I'm going to give you two words um, that the word of God, uh, that theologians use to describe God's nature. One of them is the word sovereignty. Sovereignty refers to God's right to reign, to, to, to rule, to, to write the story however he so desires. And God is the grand story writer, the great storyteller, and uh, he has the right to do that. It's called Sovereignty. But there's another word that we're going to talk about today, and that's providence. Providence is a part of God's sovereignty, but it is about His loving care, His personal involvement in your story and mine, where He is watching over us. He is involved in the happenings of our lives. It's not random. It's not that He has the right to do so, but He has a plan to do so, and He is doing it for your ultimate good, for my ultimate good, and for His ultimate and eternal glory. That's where we're going to go today in Proverbs 16. So no matter what happens in your life, in the past, present, or future, buckle up. We're going to learn that you can trust God to write your story. All right? I'm going to give you just five verses from Proverbs 16. The first one happens to be verse 1. Proverbs 16. The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. What does this mean exactly? The reflections of the heart belong to mankind. That means that God has given to us this involvement in thinking about life, in pondering why life is going the way it is. In my heart, in my mind, we ponder, we meditate, we we try to sort it all out. It's like a puzzle that we're putting together. It's like, why is this happening? We're reflecting in our hearts. We're pondering in our minds these things. We're putting together the puzzle pieces. And he says, that's that's given to you. That's a gift from God that you're able to do that, even if you can't completely figure it out. But the answer, the final word, the final say of what actually happens and what is stated in the end, that's from the Lord. That belongs to the Lord. In other words, God has the last word. God has the final say. He's the one that is watching over everything that occurs. This is his sovereignty and also his providence, okay? So I think about a great story that's been told. The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you guys saw, read the books or, or um Saw the movies, but here's Lord of the Rings, the movie version of this. And guys, you know, sometimes you're watching the movie and it's got a lot of twists and turns. And it took like, what, 45 hours or something to watch all three. And, uh, and you come to it and you have some questions at certain points. It's like, why did, is Frodo doing this? Why is he saying this to Sam? Why is he relating to Gandalf this way? Why is Frodo acting this way? And so we can have all sorts of debates in our minds about what's going on in the story. And the story is meant to create those questions for us. We're reflecting on it. But in the end, why did Frodo say that? Why did he act that way? There's, an, there's, there's all those things that we can explain his actions, but there's a more and simpler answer. And that is simply this. Um, he Frodo acts that way because J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the story that way. I mean, these characters are all a creation of his mind, and he is playing this out, this grand story. Tolkien did that. So the reason, ultimate reason why he's doing all these different things is because Tolkien wrote the story that way. So both of these are true. The reflections of the heart belong to us. He's given that to us. And the answer, the final outcomes, and all the things that happen in between are from the Lord. They're gifts from God. So here we have, guys, a little bit of a divine mystery, actually, a lot of a divine mystery is that we are involved, we make choices, we have responsibilities, we are uh, people that, that make real choices. They're not fake, we're not puppets. And we're thinking about them and we're pondering them or reflecting on them and we're looking forward to things. And at the same time, with that truth all being there, there's a sovereign, providential God who is overseeing everything, not just because he knows the future, but because he's planned the future. He's writing the story. He has written the story before even eternity began. You're, you're like, our minds are blown by that. How could that possibly, both of those be true? I'm not totally sure, but I know that scripture tells both of them. Even this verse tells us both of those things. That yes, we're involved, but God is completely overseeing everything. And so What we have in this deep mystery is this simple principle. When we think about God writing the story of our lives, we need to think it through. And ultimately, we need to rely on God. We need to think about what we're doing and reflect on why this happened and learn and grow from our experiences, both good and bad. And at the same time, we Lean back into the, to say there is an ultimate story writer. I can rely on God because he has me. He's got my back. And he has a story that he's writing. Even when I don't understand a lot of the parts of the story. Even when, listen to me, I don't like parts of the story. But God has a plan. He is sovereign and he watches over his children. He is providential in watching. Providence is not just a city in Rhode Island. It is a trait of our almighty God who it means he provides for us. He cares for us. He loves us. Even when what's happening doesn't look like that, it's still true. God is writing your story and he is inviting you to be involved in his story, in the grand story. And we don't ultimately control it. God does. He's given you a mind and a heart to use. Use your mind. Feel with your heart. Reflect and meditate. Cogitate. Decide things. But don't idolize your heart and mind. They're not God. They're not. God is in control. Your mind and heart are not God, and they are not ultimately in control. And there's a great amount of freedom in that and also just a a calm that can come to us. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 3 of Proverbs 16, commit your activities to the Lord. Everything that you're doing in your life, commit it to the Lord. And he says, and your plans will be established. So what does that mean exactly? Um, To commit something, this word here means to roll over or to give ownership to God. We take all the activities, all of my life, everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm deciding, everything I'm thinking, my entire life, all the decisions I have to make, everything I worry about, everything I think about, everything I plan for, I I don't keep that to myself. I invite God in to that story. And I said, I'm going to roll over. I'm going to commit to you my life all the details of it, and I'm going to give you ownership. You're in control, and I freely surrender my life to you. These are powerful principles, guys, okay? And so Paul says it this way. He says, uh, he was talking to the Colossians, and he says, so whatever you do in your life, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, my life is lived in surrender to God. And the promise is, when we give it over to God, when we truly surrender control, I want to control things. I want to control outcomes. I want to control other people and and their stories. And I can't even control my own story. And so God says, just give it to me. Whatever right now you're facing in your life, whatever you will face, surrender ownership of that to God and say, that belongs to you, Lord. It really does belong to you. And he says, and when you do that, your plans will be established. In other words, everything that's now that we're doing in our lives and the steps that we're beginning to take are now on a much firmer foundation than they would be if we just kept control. When we handed over to God and said, this all belongs to you, now I'm standing on a rock that cannot be moved. Now I'm standing on something that is trustworthy. And so what we're saying here is, do I, do you actually trust God to write your story? Enough to surrender whatever it is to him and say, that belongs to you, Lord. Doesn't mean we're not responsible. Doesn't mean we don't make choices. But we're saying, ultimately, I'm surrendering my life to you. Like Jesus said, what? Not my will, but yours be done. When he looked to the prospect of the cross, he trusted himself and trusted himself to God. So here's the principle. When you can trust God to write your story, and so what we do is we seek his glory, and we want to be confident. When we turn it over to him, we gain this confidence that my plans are established now because they're on a firm rock foundation. Some people misunderstand this verse. They think, Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. So that means I take my plans and I hand hand them onto the desk of God and expect God to rubber stamp it and it'll all be great and awesome. No. The reason my plans are going to be established is because I've surrendered them to the Lord. They're on the best and firmest foundation there. So guys, God has has an all-inclusive plan for my life, for yours, for everyone in your life, for everyone on this earth. He wants us to He's writing this story and we're involved in it. We make real choices and we're responsible for those. But it's kind of like, thinking about that this way, it's kind of like you decide one day that you're, you, want, you would love to climb Mount Everest. You're gonna go and you're gonna do the Himalayas, right? And it's gonna be amazing. Now, you've never done, maybe you've done some rock climbing over so there. You've never done this sort of thing before. Maybe you've even done some mountain climbing. You never uh, tried to scale this incredible peak of the tallest on earth. And I know some things you're going to need. Number one, you're going to need some money to do that. Just, just to pay the guides that you're going to need, we'll get to that in a minute, you're going to need somewhere between fifty dollars to $70,000. That's what you're going to need, <laughs> okay? Sorry. Um, you know, go to ledges if, if that seems a little steep to you, okay? So, um, so you're going to need some, some money. You're going to need a lot of time because this is not going to happen. You're going to need time to train for this. You're also going to need a coach. It doesn't matter that you're in outstanding shape or you're really experienced. You're going to need a coach before you ever get to the Himalayas. That's going to take time, money. So what are you doing here? You know if you're going to make this, you can't do this yourself. And what you're doing is you're saying, I'm surrendering time, money, planning, over to other people who are going to help me walk through this. Then you're going to need some outfitters because you're going to need special equipment that is going to be required. You're going to need uh, a lot of uh, breathing uh, uh, oxygen uh, to help you scale the heights that you're going to go to. You're going to need all sorts of climbing equipment and lodging equipment, and, and the list goes on. It's a lot of equipment. And there are outfitters that you trust them. You trust that their ropes and their climbing equipment is going to be reliable. You're, you're relying upon them, and you find the best one you can. Because if you're going to entrust your life to this outfitter, you make sure that they are reliable, that they're not. this isn't their first job on Everest. They have experience. You're looking for that. And then you actually come to the Sherpa. This is the Sherpa. The Sherpa is actually an indigenous group among the people of Nepal. And they have like millennia of experience in climbing Mount Everest and in the Himalayas. Uh, take, take a look at this. Here's this guy. Everybody else that's climbing the mountain needs the extra oxygen, but Sherpas have... Their lungs and their bodies have so developed that they don't even need it. They can actually climb things, carry things, do amazing things, and they don't need. Their bodies have adjusted over these many centuries and passed down through the ages that they are just incredible. So they are guides. They are support to you. They are partners with you in this journey. They are translators. There's there's people of different languages or backgrounds, they bring them all together and they are ambassadors for their own kingdom. All of these things, you are entrusting your life, your one and only life, to a Sherpa. You've rolled over the ownership. But when you do so, and when you trust that Sherpa, and when you know he knows way more about this than you could ever know in many lifetimes, there's a confidence that you have. You're like, okay, I'm not relying, this isn't relying on me. I'm relying on everybody else, coach, trainer, outfitter, Sherpa. And that's what we're talking about your life. And God is all of those things and more. And so my question is, we we have to scale a, a mountain and it's, it's higher than, than Mount Everest. It's, it's eternity. And, um, John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress used this sort of imagery um, that we're scaling the heights and we're, it's a difficult journey, incredibly difficult journey, but we constantly surrender it to God, say, you're in control, you have my life, you know best, and I will trust you. And in that, we then have a confidence of the way that my life is going to go. There's nothing like it. To really trust that God can write your story. No matter what. By the way, climbing Mount Everest, let me ask you a question. It's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Is it easy? It's easy. No, it's not easy. Does it involve suffering? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Guess what? You and I in this life, onto eternity, are doing something even more difficult than climbing Mount Everest. We are seeking to follow Jesus, no matter what, through all the hills and valleys of life, through all the mountaintop experiences and the deepest, darkest valleys. Through the shadow of death, we are following Jesus, and He is going to take us all the way to eternity. Just like climbing Mount Everest, God's all-inclusive plan also includes suffering. It's part of your story. It's part of my story. It's part of the story of Jesus, and we follow in his steps. Let me give you a few scriptures about this plan. Peter writes, dear friends, by the way, he was martyred, eventually crucified upside down uh, for his faith in Jesus. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Strange? Why is this happening? Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. Wow. A lot to think about there. James says it. Consider it pure great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance something God's doing inside of me and you when we endure faithfully through suffering, when we learn. Don't waste your suffering. Learn, grow, experience this, and find this. Because you can have joy, not because you enjoy the trials, but because you, you see what God is doing, and you can rejoice in that. He says, it produces the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete your whole. That's really what it means, your whole lacking nothing. We all want to have these full lives. We all want to be whole and complete. And part of the pathway of that is through the road of suffering. Paul wrote, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. When we finally reach the summit of of Mount Everest, it will have been worth it all, he says. More, you can't even compare what we're going through here to what God has planned for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared, says the scriptures, for those who love him. And then Peter again says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. You know this is a tough road you're on right now. This is a challenging moment, or a challenging season, or a challenging decade. But God is going to see you through that. He's going to restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Count on Him. Roll it over to Him. And finally, Paul says, he says, compared with what we're about to, what we're going to experience one day. He says, our light and momentary troubles, these things that we hit a long life, as painful as they may seem, worst case scenarios in the light of eternity are comparatively light and momentary troubles. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? So what God is telling us is this. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. Do you truly believe that? Do you trust God to write your story? Seek His glory. Be confident that He is going to do that in your life. Okay, let's go on to verse 9, chapter 16. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. God is telling us, He's writing your story. But you're involved in this. You're, you're very much involved in walking with Him and making decisions and weighing things out and, and making plans for the future. Yeah, that's, that's what God's given to you. He wants you to do that. He wants you to do that well. Keep going. Yes, plan that out. Be responsible. Dream big. Set big goals. Get a strategy together that will work. Talk with other people. Get Like Pastor Brandon talked about, get good counsel around you. And then begin to implement your plan and take steps and and make progress and celebrate wins and do all those things. Every single one of those things is awesome and great, and you should do it. And remember, the Lord determines our steps. In other words, yes, plan it out and do all the things I shared, but recognize I'm not ultimately in control. The Lord is the one who determines what actually happens, the steps. So here's the principle. Plan well, but stay humble. So go for the big dreams. You know, do what God's, you feel God's called you to do. Uh, work it all out, plan it all out. But pause and say, you know, but ultimately this only happens if it's God's will. This only happens if God provides. This only happens if God empowers. This only happens if God says, this will lead to your greater good and my eternal glory. And if it's not in his plans, guess what? It's not in his plans. Remember when we studied Revelation? He says, you know what? God, God's given the keys, to, the key of David to Jesus. And what God, uh, the doors that are open, no one can shut. And the doors God closed, no one can open. That's the reality. So stay humble. You know, um, I remember, uh, I don't even remember which child it was, but uh, it was during the teenage years. And um, they they came in one day and they were talking about something and they began to announce all their big plans for the weekend or whatever. And, you know, in my mind, w- you know, we have some family stuff going on and so forth. And I'm listening to all this and it just got to the point where, you know, you are you're assuming all of these things are going to happen. And wait a minute, we haven't we haven't talked about this. This has never happened to any other teenagers in the history of humanity. But you know, one—I don't even remember which which one it was. But it's like, wait a minute, time out. We got to talk about this. You you don't just get to decide whatever. We we have to involve everybody in this decision. And and I'm your dad. And and there's times in our lives when we need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded that. Yeah, that's great to plan that all out and to to pursue all that, but don't get too big for your britches. Stay humble. Remember God's in charge. Submit your plans to Him. Submit to His uh, counsel. Walk in His ways. And if you're having big plans and you're deviating off the path of Jesus, guess what? He may do a lot of different things to get you back on the path. All right? James writes about this in his letter in the New Testament. And he says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. It's all our choice what we're going to do today or tomorrow. We will spend a year there. We're going to move there. We're going to spend a year there. We know what's going to happen for the next 365 days. We got it all planned out. We're going to spend a year there. That's it. And we're going to carry on business. We're going to establish this. It's going to roll. We're going to to make it happen. And we're going to make money. It's going to be successful. Because we got a great plan. I got a great mind. I'm a great planner. I'm a great decision maker. Whatever. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting too big for our britches. And James says, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Thud done. What's you, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In other words, you, got, you have a story of your life, but compared to Almighty God who, is, who has existed from all eternity and will exist to all eternity, our brief span of time on life, is just like a vapor, a mist that just briefly appears and then it's gone. He goes, understand there's a greater, more glorious being than yourself who loves you, who cares for you, who's watching over you, whose providential compassion is all over you, but remember to stay humble. Verse 15 of James uh, chapter 4. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. If God allows this, if God empowers us, if God causes these things to happen, then we'll do this, or we'll do that. So there's a humility that we just need to take on and say, that's, I I, I say, Lord willing, we do this. This is our plan. We love our plan. It's good. And this is, it's going to be great. But ultimately, we bow the knee to Jesus. And we say, ultimately, that's your call. Because you know what's best, Father. You know what's best, Jesus. The truth is, here's the reality of my life and your life today. The truth is, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, really? We think we do. We think we have all these things in, in, in lined up and we got it all figured out. The truth is God is probably, somebody said this, God is probably doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And I and you are probably aware of three of them. And there's 9,997 other things that he's doing in and through my life and yours that you have no, we have no idea about. So we're just mists, and God is the grand story writer. Just stay humble. Just stay humble and say, Lord, I want to be, be teachable. I want to be humble. I want to know that you care for me and love me, and I ultimately want your will, not mine. Proverbs 16, verse 20. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Proverbs. The one who understands a matter finds success. And the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. This is; These are profound statements. To understand a matter, what does that mean? It means to not just have a superficial kind of surfacey look and understanding of things, but to truly deeply understand what's happening. To, to truly go there deep with God and deep with knowledge of our circumstances and, and not just settle for superficialities, but to, to go deep into it and truly to understand people and things and ethics and biblical wisdom and, and truly having a worldview that encompasses the Holy Spirit of God, not based on my favorite news cycle, not based on my favorite podcasts or social media feed, but it is deeply embedded in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit of God. That's how you understand a matter. What what we learn earlier, right? Repetitively in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is what? Taking God seriously by consistently saying yes to him. Fear of the Lord means for every area, respect. And so this is what this is talking about when you get to that point about you can look at your life you can look at this relationship, you can look at this work that you're doing you can look at your your, your bank account, you can look at at, uh, at at your friendship, you can look at your marriage, you can look at, at whatever it might be your children your parenting um, your your physical uh, health all these things you are coming to a deeper and deeper understanding through life experience first, but also mostly in relationship to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, rolling over the ownership of your life to God, you're really understanding things in a much more deep way than you would otherwise. A lot of believers, I'm challenging us in this, let's understand this. And it doesn't mean... That, okay, I've got to get into the Bible. And some people uh, define spiritual depth by how, how much do I understand the original verb roots or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spiritual and heart understanding of the heart of God and the way that He wants to lead our lives. That's what I'm talking about. And when you get to that point, I'm not just talking about Bible knowledge or intellectualism here, I'm talking about heartfelt. You're truly aligning yourself and you're open to being changed by God character, mindset, attitudes, money, opinions, everything in your life. You say, I want to understand it through your eyes. I want to see life. I want to see people through your eyes. You're going to find success. That, by the way, that does not mean that your life is going to be uh, just a a dream cruise. That's just going to be happy-go-lucky and so forth. Jesus found success, and it took him going to a cross and dying for our sins, but he was raised from the dead, and he's exalted to the highest place. That every name, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess at his name that he is Lord. He's Lord. So that's what we're saying: is that when you really, truly, deeply understand it, you know, I came across um, a while back an article that was posted online and it was actually a 1991 article that's really long ago some of you weren't even born then all right um, And it was by a guy named John Somerville who is a is a, a now a professor emeritus at University of Florida and the article was entitled why the news makes us dumb basically the the article was you don't get wisdom from watching the news this was written in 91 and it was prophetic in that it predicted so many of the things that we see happening now. Back then, we had this you know, tabloid called the National Enquirer. And there were, you know, there were headlines that were there to get you to buy it and so forth in the shopping. And, and this predicted, I think pretty accurately, that eventually they said all newspapers will become more and more tabloidish because they have to sell newspapers. They have to make a profit. And so it's not about you. They're not doing this for you to gain wisdom in life. They're doing this so that you will give them money. It's, it, and it's, it's so predicted, everything that's happened in our culture. So now we have things that just, we're, we're somebody said this, we're drowning in information, but we are starving for wisdom. Wow. And so, guys, I want to say this. When we spend too much time and attention on our favorite news sources, or our favorite podcasts, or on social media feed, and we just get more and more news. It's just like relentless. And what they're trying to convince you of is that this is super important. And actually, it's not contributing to your life wisdom. It's not helping your family. It's not helping your relationships. It's not helping your friendships. It's not helping your impact. There are some helpful things out there. But a relentless over-reliance or obsession or just spending too much time On those things and not reflecting deeply, not surrendering our lives to Him, not learning and praying how He wants us to live our lives. We're not leading to wisdom. It won't lead to success. Instead, what we see in our culture today is is frankly everything that that article I told you from 91 predicted and the Word of God said thousands of years earlier. When we rely on the moment, the news of the moment, What happens is we have more fear, more anxiety, more anger, more depression, more comparison with other people, more loneliness, more nonsense, less wisdom. And with less wisdom comes less joy and happiness. Instead, he says, the one who understands a matter finds success and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. The truest way to understand a matter and best way is to trust in the Lord, to really give our lives to Him and say, I'm going to seek it out with you, Lord. I'm really going to learn your perspective on this. I'm not going to settle for superficiality here. I want to really walk with you in forgiveness, in kindness, in justice, in generosity, in honesty, in integrity, and all those things. And when we give those to the Lord and when we pursue Him, guess what? The byproduct of that is happiness and joy. It's truly having a soul peace no matter what chaos is happening in your world, there's a joy and contentment that comes and a true happiness that's rooted, not in your present circumstances, but that is rooted in God. It's rooted in Jesus. Here's the principle. When we trust God with our story, there's both a humility and there's a joy. So we pursue understanding. And when we do that, we discover joy. We discover something that's just, you can't explain it you have it no matter what's happening in your life, in your story. So pursue deep understanding. Understand this, not everything is going to be spelled out to you. God's not going to tell you everything about your story. He's not going to explain it all to you because he has his ways and he's doing 10,000 things in your life and he could probably only handle three of them. But he still has a plan. So a, a friend of mine, a number of years ago, uh, he he gave this illustration. He says, he says, a lot of us think about God's will and we want a blueprint. We want all the details and how it's all working and how this fits and how this all, and God doesn't give us a blueprint. God gives us a game plan. He says, this is how it's going to go. This is what we hope to do. And you know what? Mostly a game is an approach and there's a few specific plays. Actually, there are very little, you know, total plays. I mean, you're playing a sport and you're not just running plays all the time. A lot of times you're just an approach to the game and a general way, principles that you keep in mind, fundamentals that you keep, and you just run that game plan. And you say, this is what God is doing. His will, what He wants for our lives is not discovered in knowing all the details, every little, every little detail of the story. If you just explain it to me, it wouldn't help. In fact, he told the prophet Habakkuk, if I, if I told you what I'm doing, in the world right now, you wouldn't even believe me. If I actually explained what I'm doing in your life and in this world, you would not believe me. So I'm not going to tell you. Just trust me. Trust in me and you'll find joy. Doesn't mean we're not responsible. Doesn't mean we don't make uh, good choices. We do. We pursue understanding. And that's where we discover joy. We walk in the Spirit and we begin to Demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And all those things are just contributing to our contentment, joy, peace, and happiness. You know, you look at some people, and I've read stories, some people who can experience devastating setbacks, unthinkable, unthinkable, unimaginable pain, intense betrayals. I've read stories of prisoners in POW camps and and the journeys of some people who have been through incredible grief. And I've read their stories of those who deeply follow Jesus, and in spite of it all, they have joy. And in fact, part of discovering the joy was walking a journey of a lot of suffering. How is it that some people can experience that and find joy while others fall apart because the Wi-Fi is down? Life is, is over because, you know, the copier is broken. I think it's something about this statement, the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. I don't mean some slap it on your face, smiley face, act like everything's great when it's not. But I'm talking about an inner strength and contentment and joy that is just beautiful. There's a deeper joy to be found in resting in Him alone. Pursue understanding, discover joy. For me, and I know you guys already know this, one of my ultimate examples, maybe my ultimate example, my wife is my wife, the awesome Ruth Steve. Who you know is journeying through, it's you know, we hit the four-year mark of this cancer journey in battle. But just an amazing person. And why? Because I truly believe she trusts in the Lord. And so do I. We don't understand everything. We're pursuing understanding, but there's a lot of things we don't know. God knows. There's a deeper joy to be find to be found in resting in Him alone. Finally. Verse 33, a lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. A lot is cast into the lap. So what's the most random event you can imagine? I'll tell you what it is. It's rolling the dice. Yep, just rolling the dice. That's the most random. You have no idea what's going to come up. By the way, there were in the ancient world dice. Here's some from uh, this time, about this time that um, Solomon was writing. They're stone dice, and they they rolled the dice. And sometimes they made decisions. In the Old Testament, they would even draw straws or whatever the equivalent of that was. And, And in the New Testament, it moves away from that to the leading guidance of the Holy Spirit. But what God is saying here is that I want you to think about the most random event in nature, in history, and it's just rolling the dice. And what do we learn from this? The lot is cast into the lap but every decision is from the Lord. In other words, even the most random thing, rolling the dice, God is sovereign, is over that, and it is His decision how they come up. Ultimately. And why some people push back on that, I find incredible rest and confidence, nothing. Here's the thing, what are we, what's the Lord telling us here? That there, listen to me, there is not one thing that is not under the loving, careful, uh, compassionate providence of God that will ever occur in your life. No matter what happens, it's every decision is from the Lord. We don't know what he's doing always, but God knows what he's doing. Even in the deepest and most confusing chapters of the story he is writing, He's writing the story, and he knows how it ends, and it ends beautifully. So here's the principle here. We can trust fully and experience peace. We can, let's put that in there, trust fully and experience peace. Completely trust in what God is doing, and then the peace that comes to us. One author I love from way back, Alexander McLaren, said, Peace, not come, peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. You may recall in the New Testament a story of some people throwing dice yeah, at the foot of the cross. And Jesus is looking down, and they're throwing dice for his clothing. This is not my will, but yours be done. This is the will of God that these soldiers, fulfilling, by the way, Scripture, They'll will not uh, they'll 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 compete, they'll gamble for my clothing. Fulfilled scripture, fulfill the plan of God. How does that all work out? Works out that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, for my sins, for yours, and then he's gloriously raised from the dead on the third day. It looked like everything was against him. But it was Friday, Sunday's a coming. That's what we learn. So let me give you this. Um, I think uh, here let's go to this. God is what? God is good. God is good. And, you know, a lot of times that's what we focus on. And that's good. And that's amazing. He is good. He, is, he loves us. He cares for us. But I want to I I complete another one. God is good, but also I need to tell you this. God is God. He loves me and He cares for me. And He's also God. He's almighty. He's fully trustworthy. He's a rock. You can totally depend on him. You gotta believe and you gotta, you gotta really remember both of those things. God is good and God is God. I love um, a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. Uh, you know, the whole Chronicles of Narnia. And he wrote the last uh, part of the, of the story is, is called The Last Battle. And it's about how it kind of gloriously comes to an end in Narnia. And the book closes after all the adventures and pain and misery and heartache and victories and all that, it all comes to an end. Just like your life, we have all these chapters that God is writing and then he comes to the final chapter of your life and mine whenever he calls us home. I want to read what C.S. Lewis says, wrote as he ended the final, the last battle. And as Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, to which every chapter is better than the one before. Father, thank you for the story that you're writing in my life and the lives of everyone who hears this. I pray, oh God, that we would just surrender that to you, trust you for writing our story, knowing that you have our best, and giving it all to you. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all. He's writing your story.